So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. I have record. Are we? Oh, I, oh. I, why? I hit record. I hit record. Everything's okay. Fine. Okay. <laughs> Good job, team. We didn't fuck it up. Don't you fuck guys. me on this. <laughs> Don't fuck you me guys. <laughs> We're doing such good, good job. Work. We're doing uh, such work. All right. Good work, uh, you guys. Yeah. So welcome to Feature Creep, colon. Built-in microwave, semicolon. Oh, shit. Oh, oh uh, uh Designing Designing dystopias. Yeah. Well, another episode on designing dystopias. This one is um, attending a Zoom meeting while getting a filling at the dentist. I, I, it doesn't get a lot worse than attending a Zoom meeting. I mean, like if you asked me what could make a Zoom meeting worse, probably the thing that would do it is having to do it from a dentist chair. Or like, I don't know, the inside of an MRI machine, which of course would be impossible. But Right. I... Well, would it though? Please go. Oh no, please you first. Oh, I, I insist. I insist. Okay. I was going to say this does seem like a perfect time to insert the definition of dystopia. Sure. Yes. Because there is an argument of like, are we just describing, you know, sort of hell slash torture? Like, what makes it actually dystopian? dystopian? I think it's the I think it's the part about the dentist. No wait, the part about the Zoom <laughs> meeting. No wait. No wait. <laughs> I think it's a part about both of them. Well, no, wait. It's a part yeah, about sitting. If, if yeah, this I'm is pretty the sure first... it's a part about sitting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If this is the first time you've listened to our podcast, uh, Future Creep, colon, built-in microwave, semicolon, whatever the podcast is about, um, <laughs> there's... Uh, we've actually... This is like one of a series of episodes we've done on talking about designing dystopias. Um, and... Uh, but it, Lauren, you're absolutely right. Um, oh, Oh, should we do introductions? I forget. Like, there's mm-hmm. like a format to this. So I am Ned, uh, co-host with, uh, and I have uh, Lauren and Meg here, um, also co-hosting. And the three of us are going to discuss the design of dystopias. Yeah. And Lauren brings up a very good point, which is, what the fuck is a dystopia? I mean, how would you define a dystopia in more right. professional language? More um, professional. We are consummate professionals. Yes. Um, do you have the nothing but the most? I don't perfect. have a definition of it pulled up. Let me look. So, uh, Wikipedia, um, as of September 22nd, 2021, uh, says that a dystopia is a fictional community or society that is undesirable or frightening. Mm. Um, yeah, oh, that's pretty succinct. Wow, that yeah. is, and that wow. comes from um, the Oxford, the OED, um. So, uh, or that's Team OED reference. for the win. That's right. So, um, um, so yeah, treated. So it's an antonym of utopia, mm-hmm. a term that was coined by Sir Thomas More, but also, you know, like it's well older than Sir Thomas More. I mean, I, I want to come in possibly on Team Merriam Webster for an imagined world or society in which people lead wretched, dehumanized, <laughs> fearful lives. That's weirdly specific. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but possibly more accurate because the first one could just be undesirable or frightening fictional community. Like, yeah, that seems really broad. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I feel think- like the wretched piece. I really, <laughs> Miriam Webster really oh, tagged it so with wretched. New World Encyclopedia says a dystopia is the vision of a society that is the opposite of a utopia. Mm-hmm. A dystopian society is one in which the conditions of life are miserable and characterized by human misery, poverty, oppression, violence, disease, and or pollution. Um, and it says, while there have been actual societies which have experienced most, if not all of these characteristics, the term dystopia is largely a literary term referring to a class of literary works that serve as cautionary tales against some form of totalitarianism from the left or right. I mean, that feels much better to me. Somehow that first mm-hmm. one did was very unsatisfying. And, <laughs> and we really need definitions that make me feel good. So. Yes. Right. I, I want to feel Let's good about Let's keep talking these. about this. Yeah. So, um, but we've talked about like classic dystopias in film, Brazil being one of them, um, Visioneers being another. Um, I There's another movie called Wrist Cutters, a love story that is the sort of tale of what happens to people in the afterlife who have committed suicide. And it's, they end up in a version of their life. That's just a little bit worse than the one that they left. Oh, and it's really great. Yeah. Interesting. Fantastic. Like Uh, um, the, the cottage cheese is always just on the verge of sour. And like, um, if you, buy so like, a tent if you get a tent there's going to be like a big rip down the side of it I thought you were or whatever it was so have the wrong poles in it. <laughs> right yeah or that would be too you know it's like it's all of the things that made you not want to be alive anymore are still here and some are just a little worse even mm-hmm. it's great because like within the definition though it like does elude like why why is mad max you know world dystopian and and obviously it's post-apocalyptic mm. but but when you have a definition that's too broad, it doesn't allow for, I don't know, yeah, like, characterization. I suppose the post-apocalyptic part would be like the qualifier of what sort of dystopia. Mm-hmm. Like sure, it's a, a I mean, you could have a post-apocalyptic dystopia. But. I mean, that's kind of a, a weird problem of, um, and I'm not sure how to characterize this, but in the, in the issue of post-apocalypse, you have part of what makes it a post apocalypse is that you're living like the story or this universe, this fictional place is happening after the fall of something better. And so you're like the idea being that we were happy and now we're miserable. Mm -hmm. And I feel like with dystopia, what's often implied is that we were trying to make ourselves happier or better and in the process made ourselves miserable. Mm. But. mm, Okay. I mean, I I don't I don't know. (laughs) I have to challenge you on that one. I don't know. I, I mean, maybe I think maybe like I feel that the or what I'm thinking is that that dystopia. Well, I mean, that's the, that's the problem. I don't necessarily disagree with you, but the part of the discussion that I'm trying to bring up is the question of what's the deal with. So for instance, depending on if you're kind of looking at like the, you know, you're kind of looking at the swath of human existence and you're saying, okay, like this point in time as they were moving, you know, next year was better. They had better crops and there were better health outcomes for people and people lived longer and they had more joy and happiness in their lives and they were improving their lives. 
and yet they were you know crawling out of like the dark ages where you know like it was still pretty miserable and people were Mm -hmm. dying all the time and there was lots of suffering and lots of like wealth stratification and all of those issues but it was a little bit better versus that being still worse than a post-apocalyptic existence where the only real thing that that gives you that evidence that you're not doing as well as you like the problem being is like but we were doing better just a little while ago historically speaking like it's it becomes this question of like at any one of those states like if you take like a sampling of people the people who were living in like the 14th century are you know objectively have less access to healthcare and things that are good for them mm-hmm. as a whole. Like there are lots of people who are not doing well versus like a post apocalyptic society, potentially. I mean, you know, these are all fictional, but you're like looking at it and you're looking at a slice and it's like, yeah, they don't have the, you know, the modern things like the internet and stuff, but they still have access to depending on the, the society, obviously, but you look at some of these stories and it's like, yeah, but they're actually like, existing in a world where they're making it better and people are working together and there's still better knowledge and maybe they don't have access to the heights of medicine and and technology, but they still have remnants of that. In after the fall, you mean? Yeah. I'm just saying like, it's, it's a matter of like perspective, right? Like, Mm, is it yeah. is it what that you think you're going down the slope of human existence like we've we were going up and things were getting better and now we're going down and things are getting worse and the downward Anna, slope is the problem not where you are on it or doesn't it just well are you are you saying it matters what you start as your comparison point i'm no i mean i'm asking the question of like what constitutes like for me i think what constitutes a dystopia is like an objective point where human suffering is maximized as a function of society mm. which is kind of what we've talked about previously is like how do you maximize these like what are these characteristics of a dystopia and then how do you maximize them to make the sort of ultimate dystopia right which is which is the the like, flip article or yeah it's like the flip what argument we, what we talked about in our previous episodes about dystopia is like if you were if you were trying deliberately to design a dystopia what would the necessary elements be to ensure that it was sure dystopian enough mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. And like, so, yeah, yeah, like maximization of human misery as a function of the society. But I feel like I'm not sure that that my original point doesn't still hold that mm. I feel like one implication, I'm not saying it has to be there, but there is this implication when I hear dystopia that you sort of got there by being tricked or misled or sort of thinking you were making your lives better mm-hmm. like we we voted in this government because they promised to make us happier and they really just made us more miserable I and gotcha. often they're kind of lying like in terms of how to maximize human suffering mm-hmm. gaslighting is one way to do it <laughs> yes right <laughs> you know so to have this thing of like no 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 keep doing these things that are not in your best interest right like and to get a whole like that's part of the piece of a dystopia i feel society is very important yeah whereas like you you need a dis to have a dystopia you you are referring to a society a group of yes people. yeah it's and not so a, it's there not is a singular. this whole thing that this collective is working towards something mm-hmm. and that there is often a discord between what they are told they're working towards which is that your lives are going to be better or safer or something and the reality is that they are working towards their own 
demise. Uh, uh, what was what did Merriam-Webster say? Uh, um, oh, um, uh, golly, misery. Uh, no, it was such um, a good word. Wretched, 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 and their wretchedness lives dehumanized. Yes. Yes, they're re- instead they're working towards their own wretchedness. Wretchedness. Right, and I, so I think like you're kind of talking about the same thing that I'm talking about in a different way, which is this gotcha. idea of <laughs> the idea of like, are you considering a slice of time or are you considering a swath of time where there's movement through time? Like you're describing mm. how did we get here? Does uh-huh. that... Like, so, you know, okay, here's the peak of a, ut- a dystopia, which yep. I was going to say is, is, you know, you can argue, we could have just as easily have the discussion of how do you make a utopia? It's just, let's just talk. D- dystopia feels easier in some ways. Like, I think it's the easier argument or the easier I mean, it's discussion. It's definitely funnier. Be- it's yes. definitely funnier. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, like, like there's, there's two different questions. Like the question is like, okay, like here's the, here's the height of the dystopia, the height of discomfort and dehumanization and wretchedness and fearful lives. And then the question is like, well, how did we get here? And does getting here contribute to that? Like does knowledge of the past, like looking back and being like, okay, like I definitely having knowledge of the past can be part of human suffering where you're like, Oh, it was better yesterday. And now it's, you know, it would have been, mm-hmm. it was, it's always better last year or whatever, like bullshit. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so the, like, to me, the question is like, is that, is that important or does that just, is that just one way of having like psychological discomfort and psychological dehumanization of being like, you mm. knew what was good and now you've lost it. I I want to just quickly interject and tell our listeners at home that I really wish they could see Ned's hand gestures. Yeah, they're good. Which were actually a really important part <laughs> of that explanation. And yeah. so they, I want them to be aware of their own wretchedness that they are missing. Mm-hmm fully 50% of that explanation because they only get the audio. Right. It's a, it's like an interpretive, like listening to a podcast is dehumanizing because you're only left with just your ears and you get nothing else to work with to experience this. Uh, (laughs) I mean, you could say that too. In the future, in our dim future. So when you were first speak, so Ned, I I believe you that we are saying the same thing. I I think I do not fully grasp your point. So I welcome (laughs) more discussion. Okay. But when you first were talking about this concept of perspective and yes. time, in especially in relationship to a dystopia versus a post-apocalyptic, my thinking was actually that the, it was the post-apocalyptic story that was miserable because of knowledge of the past. Well, uh, right. Okay. Yeah. So... Um, and yes. are you saying it's actually the dystopian that is miserable because of the knowledge of the past? No, I'm... I'm uh, okay, so let's, for the sake of argument, dystopia is the broad category of human suffering, of a societal human suffering, like a society that supports, as we're working from the definition, a, a yeah. world or society in which people lead wretched, dehumanized, fearful lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that could be in, that could be in a post-apocalyptic setting. Mm, okay, yeah. And that what was, you're saying makes me... question. Yeah, and makes me think like, so one thing you're suggesting is that knowledge of the past, which is the same thing I'm asking, like, mm-hmm. like when you're looking at a post-apocalyptic society, 
what I'm trying to say is if you compare human existence in that post-apocalyptic society to say, like, let's use the world of Mad Max. If you Mm -hmm. compare that to a sort of, um, like a feudal, like a feudal period in Europe or something like, you know, way back in the day, like when people were running around stabbing each other with swords, uh, and spears and all the weird shit, um, and torturing <laughs> each other. Flails, yeah. Maces, I mean, like, yeah. Boiling like, or oil. Or let's talk about you know the Crusades or whatever. Just anyway, there was never actually boiling oil. Go ahead. Really? Oh. Hot oil, whatever. No. Pitch. It was tar or something, <laughs> right? Was Isn't it? Well, I, I mean, I don't want to get us off track. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, it it matters. That matters. But let's, for the sake of this argument, I'm just saying, you look at a town where people are living in the dark ages or the sort of medieval time period <laughs> yes, versus versus you. the Mad Max universe, they're kind of comparable, right? Like it's sure. not it, like, you know, a human, your, your life exit, like your life expectancy and your ability to survive are, um, are more, it's more tribal. It's definitely, um, your access to medicine is limited your idea, but, but I would argue that even in Mad Max time, there's more knowledge about human existence and what makes us happy or what makes it helps us to thrive than there is in sort of feudal periods. I got you. I get what you're saying. And so my argument is, is that the dystopian feel of a post-apocalyptic time period or post-apocalypse environment is like what you're saying, Lauren, like, it's sort of like, how did we get here that makes it part of the psychological suffering of it? Like, you're like, oh, we had it all. And now we've lost it because our hubris or because we, you know, like blew ourselves up or whatever, as opposed to in feudal times where it's like their, their existence is like really a fight towards better existence. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. eventually they came out of that and they haven't got peaked to, yet and come back down the other side. Right. That's their trajectory well, that's, is on upward. Yeah. And my question is just what is that? Does that have bearing? And I think that's kind of what you're suggesting as well, Lauren, you're saying like how we got here is, is just as important as the fact that we are here. Right. Uh, or has bearing. I don't know okay. if it's important. Like, I don't want to give it value. I'm just saying it has some value. I mean, it's interesting to, cause if you would treat how you view two different cultures, um, very differently, if one had not ascended to greatness and fell from it, whereas the other had ascended to greatness and then through some fault of its own collapsed onto the other side. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, one just sucks to begin with and isn't very advanced, whereas the other one, you would presume somehow like bungled it up. Mm-hmm. Like, right. there was forward progress. You made it past like some feudal state or whatever. Like, you had things like antibiotics and life extension and things like that, and somehow tipped over. You know, mm-hmm. like hit a tipping point or something like that almost seems worse than just being like, eh, we haven't figured out germ theory yet. Well, and that's I, I don't know. I mean, I've just that was kind of the question I was asking is like, if you're considering like this slope of progress of like human happiness, like being like, you know, are we trending up or are we trending down? Right. And if you're on a trending down point, does that mean that it doesn't matter how high up the slope you are? Mm-hmm. If you're trending down, that's what feels bad as opposed to, you know, but things are looking up, even though right, right now they're about to cut my leg off because they have no cure for hangnails. Like, right. you know, <laughs> but, it's still but bad. don't you only know that they're trending 
up because you know how the feudal people's story ends? Um, well, I like, think couldn't you- the post-apocalyptic people also be trending up? I guess it's, I, I don't yeah, know. I that's feel what like I'm, I'm asking. Missing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what we're trying to figure out. Like our, why is it a question? Mm. Isn't it? Obvious? Why are we, why are we even talking about any well, of this? No, but like, but it isn't perspective. <laughs> it I thought, I thought objective <laughs> was sort of the point of, like you were talking about perspective or yeah. from an object, like, like a point, a perspective, a point of view. I would mm-hmm. be more judgmental of the society that fell than the society who hadn't climbed yet. Yes, that's that's. I think I would agree in terms of what these as literary devices or storytelling, the how people are often trying to use the elements of these kind of stories mm-hmm. to make a point or explore a point. Mm-hmm. I think that is actually yeah. a part of it. Like post-apocalyptic stories are are tragic, the way a tragedy always involves something that was desirable or good or valuable being lost mm-hmm. sort of unnecessarily is what is implied in post-apocalyptic stories yeah. typically. Yeah. And whereas in a dystopia, it, it's more, it feels more like you're, they're more victim blamey. Hmm. Like in a, in a post-apocalyptic, way often the end the story is around the individual i don't know i feel like i'm perhaps going off in a different way that's no. ned feel like not heard or or i'm no, no, missing no, no the point. that's fine no but it's like good. there's just this this piece of perspective that feels important yeah and so like in a in a post-apocalyptic story it's it's a tragedy that has happened to these people we are seeing how miserable it is for tank girl mm. and well oh, that's such a good like one. the larger society is to blame for fucking up the water Tank girl right. didn't fuck up the water. Whereas in a dystopia, we're following this cog in a system. Mm-hmm. And it's often kind of implied, like it's a little more victim blaming that like you cog kind are part of, of the problem. Right. Are part of the right. problem. You let this happen. You voted these people in. You didn't see through the lies. You let yourself be manipulated. You're just a sheeple. Like whatever it is, it, it feels... And so, that feels different than yeah, so a tragedy that happened to someone. You're, uh, what you're saying makes me think that, um, or what, I, what I'm thinking right now is it seems like your view of this topic is very literary. Like sure. books and stories. And like Meg and I are like, sandbox, how do we make people miserable? Go. <laughs> Right. Sure. Like, hmm. And and that's I like that. I don't want to call you out as being like you're wrong. You're right because you pointed out from the very beginning the utopia or dystopias and utopias. They're a literary reference. Like they're they don't come from like they're all of the things about dystopias come from literature, like or or works of Story, fiction. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not that they don't draw from real life things, as mm-hmm. is pointed out. Like there are plenty. Um, you know, as the Wikipedia article even points out, like there are plenty of societies that exist now that are pretty miserable compared to what they could be potentially. Um, right. But uh, yeah, so I think, um, but I, I think I like what you're saying and I, th- or I, I mean, I like everything you say, but I, I, oh, I like oh, thinking oh. about what you're saying right in this Quick, context. Say something because... I will hate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't 
don't know what that would be. Uh, yeah. So opposition. Don't put it on the spot. That's so mean. Let's have uh, craft singles that are cold. I love craft singles that are cold. <laughs> oh, okay. On a, I am on also a, a fan um, of craft singles. How do you feel on a, I like them on a um, hot dog? Chips Ahoy cookie. Oh. Craft because when I was a kid, I mean, they're awful. It's they're both awful. A chips away cookies are not good cookies, and craft singles are not good. Craft, are but not I'm good I'm intrigued. Go on. But I like. You've got my attention. <laughs> I like. Uh, when I was a kid, these were things that my grandmother had, and both of them were considered treats, yes. not together, uh, but they were okay. both treats. And so as I got older and had more autonomy and was able to loot the treats, having uh, them together the meant was, was like it was like everything I could possibly want in my I life. Feel like I could really pull back to dystopias they Ex- convinced you that this, this is delicious, delicious. Yeah. and you are now part of your own suffering yep. by eating a craft singles on a chips, chips. Ahoy. yeah Ahoy. but that's so that's part of the like part of a dystopia is a huge <laughs> aspect of it is like the torture of the mind right like it's about yeah. right. gaslighting yeah. you and cr- yes. and convincing you oh, gaslighting on a on an epic scale is like a huge part of yeah I and mean, that's like 1984 yeah. Like having yeah. you do the labor of torturing yourself. So, you know, it's yes, like, yes. Yeah. Yep. Yes. I mean, like, uh, that was like my favorite, or not my favorite, whatever. I don't know how to connect this piece, but I thought of The Good Place. And this this piece I really loved in it mm. is, is, is a similar concept, which maybe I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but. Oh, it's been out for a while, which part? Yeah. So, like, having people torture themselves. Like, yes. And torture themselves by their own nature or yeah. like with their own mind. Yep. Um, that show is a good show. It's pretty clever. It's, um, yeah. I think, uh, I mean, I wish I had some Chips Ahoy in the house now because I really want to try it with Craft Singles. So Craft Singles I really and or don't. with uh, with Easy Spray Cheese. cheese. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say Easy Cheese. Yeah. Yep. I will support you both in this endeavor. Yep. I mean, I feel like the perfect meal is is basically that followed mm-hmm. by bachelor pie. <gasps> do you want to know something that happened? I don't know if I do, but yes, I'm ready. I'm sitting down. Should I stand up? I don't know. Which, well, I'm sweating maybe. a lot. Toilet. You might you <laughs> you might want to stand up just for the full effect. Do I need to take I, like a shot of alcohol real quick? <laughs> yes. Um. I took the bachelor pie out of the freezer and I dropped it for real, not for accident, (laughs) not to be funny. Like it actually fell just like in the video. And, and I was like, just like in the video and it cracked all over the kitchen floor. Damon had to help me clean it up because it went like everywhere. It kind of shattered because it was frozen. Yeah. And there was like graham cracker crust everywhere (laughs) and it couldn't be put back together. (laughs) And like an iceberg of frozen strawberry (laughs) yogurt cool up just like berged off into the kitchen, you know. (laughs) Oh, that is amazing. So it's no longer in my freezer. I'm sorry. I had intensive I basically intended to save it kind of like how obsessive, obnoxious people do with their wedding cake and they eat a bite of it once a year. And you're like, you people are antisocial and terrifying but whatever yes. <laughs> that's okay they have halogen light uh, headlights on their vehicle oh yeah fuck them uh, yeah. part of the downfall of society i feel they like are. we should contextualize this for our listeners if this is the very first episode right. you're listening to right because um, that's what you guys are known for is contextualizing yes. things for uh, contextualize this bachelor pie um we are obsessed 
with a, a person named an amazing Obsessed. artist an amazing artist named peter yeah. and peter has his own youtube channel called peter draws and mm-hmm. peter also from time to time will do a somewhat non-drawing art film or just an art interpretation of somebody else's I mean, art. I think of Peter as a performance artist. He well, because all of the videos we've showed you have, are, but he also, I mean, he draws, In so he shows way. his process. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I you know, you're right. I never really thought of weirdly. I've never thought about it that way. But you're totally right. He is a performance artist. Yeah. Um, so he videotapes. It's not a tape. He videos himself drawing a a drawing from like an overhead so you get to see sort of from his perspective if you were peter what the drawing looks like as he's making it and then Mm -hmm. depending on how long it takes him to do the drawing he speeds it up and then does a voiceover and explains what he was thinking about or how the pen he's using feels while he's using it and does a review of a pen or um, sometimes he does paintings but anyway he has an episode I, or a, I, he a, also sometimes just gives him gives his own little personal philosophy about anything. whatever anything yeah. yeah he just kind of like it's kind of like a stream of conscious thing it's it's really it's really calming and like really wonderful anyway the the video in question that we're referencing yeah. in terms of bachelor pie is the bachelor pie episode i think if you youtube Peter draws bachelor pie. You will yep. find it. You will totally find it. And it's he, pretty good. He, it's like he kind of does sort of like he sets it up kind of like a little cooking show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he hot makes dro- a hot dog chef extraordinaire. I hot dog chef extraordinaire. And he um, might even call it a life hack. Yeah, and he makes this pie that's a strawberry Cool Whip graham cracker crust pie, and he mm-hmm. describes and demonstrates the whole time how to make it um and there's a moment of personal tragedy and you get really close to peter (laughs) Mm -hmm. well put and so we we made his bachelor pie and it lived in my freezer until i dropped it suffered a moment of of personal personal tragedy tragedy as well yes in a way that was very ironic Mm -hmm. um one might even say reminiscent yeah so was it art in in impersonating life or life impersonating well i kind of wish that anybody had been there to see this happen Mm -hmm. because it was just so perfect it was like oh fuck i didn't even do it on purpose and and it just slipped out of your hand just the way out of my hand i was gonna say i feel kind of like back to our point about it's all about like your perspective and like where you start and which direction you're looking Mm -hmm. but in the in the perspective that is the story of meg's life you could really say the Peter Draws episode is foreshadowing yes. what actually happened to Meg, our protagonist. That's super true. Yeah. Oh, dear. I'm going to have to be really careful what I watch from yeah, now on. I was going to say. <laughs> Are you going to hide all your Sharpies? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. The video where Peter draws on his own face is I was gonna say, would, my favorite. Would needling your face skin help get rid of Sharpies? Is it that could, one way to Yes, it could. <laughs> right before your next appointment, you could just draw your face. Yeah. There's uh in that episode where Peter's drawing on his own face, he talks about this moment and he like kind of freeze frames this moment where he gets this expression on his face where he's sort of like confused and disappointed by his own work. And I paused the video and then I took a photograph of it and I sent that photograph to a friend of ours. Nice. Our neighbor. I, I believe we've discussed the face drawing episode previously when we were I like, so. when art is bad, just keep going. Yep. Oh, when art is so bad good. just keep going he's like yeah. i just thought 
you know, it would get go better. from getting worse and worse to suddenly getting good again. And it just never happened. Much like people in a dystopia. Yes. We just thought if we kept doing these same things, it would get better and we would be happy. Right. And somehow we're all still miserable. If we had just had those carbon offset credits, everything would be fine. Everything would be fine. If I could just pay money for oh, some magic thing to happen on the back end that I don't have to know anything about mm-hmm. and that will totally assuage my guilt, all of this would work out somehow. Mm-hmm. If I just work a few more hours, mm-hmm. I'll be happy. Right. If I can just lose five more pounds, I'll be attractive. Right. And then I'll find a mate. And then I'll be happy. Right. If only. If only. If only things were not the way that they are. <laughs> <laughs> um, something that I would like to include in whatever version of dystopia I, I grow old and inhabit someday... I had this great idea, um, a human-sized garbage disposal. Yes. Okay. For human bodies? Oh, for sure. Oh, okay. I mean, like, maybe For garbage humans? For garbage humans. Garbage disposal for garbage humans. We could, uh, yeah. And we could have some cheeky slogan slogan like garbage in, garbage out, or... Only if it like took the product, not only if, uh, if you did that, I would then suggest the addition of, of taking whatever comes out the other end of the human garbage disposal, garbage in, garbage out, mushed back together into like the form of a baby oh, or something. Like a, like a ground meat baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like this idea because you would think after it was like and reconstituted, like it was a lot of the dead space would be used up maybe. Maybe. Or like the empty space. I don't know. Like it just seems to me like if you ground up a human and then reconstituted the sludge, it would take up less Less room room. than the original. Probably. I I mean, there's certainly a fair amount of air is any, is anyone listening who could help me help me figure out if this is a real thing? We can, I mean, (laughs) There's like some obvious things you can do right away. Like, so if you collapse the lungs entirely, like that right. whole, yeah. the whole lung cavity means that you can re- reclaim that space. Great. Um, and then you, it like the, the sort of, the other thing to do is like uh, minimize the surface area. So really you just want to put them into a perfect sphere of meat. Oh, meat sphere. Yeah. Mm, I, I mean, I'm I was going to say, down. I feel meat. like you also probably need to deal with the water. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, much like, water, and if you just dehydrated them, then you definitely could yeah, take up less huge, space. Yeah, you'd really get, you'd really compact so much quite of a lot of the matter if you get rid of the water. Yeah. Is water. Yep. But yes, I mean, you also could make it denser, and a sphere seems like a great way to to improve human density. Right. Yes. Um, and then it probably also depends on fat, though. But go ahead. Well, I mean, so then the question becomes, is the goal to um, reduce to atomic elements or is it just mm. to uh, render lifeless and then and then just sort of like, because at what point do you... Well, weren't they lifeless I'm just, before I mean, they went in or does this like, imply they were alive? I don't know. I well, I think it's to... powerful enough that it can handle living things. Oh, Okay. I mean, why build it if you're why not, build I mean, it if it can't handle like things that are from, flailing from a right. human garbage garbage disposal point of view? Living or dead is irrelevant. Like, sure, like there's nothing you're going to be doing 
as a living thing that's going to fight against a human garbage disposal, like yeah. other than escaping it. Like, Rule of order. Right. Yes. What is the difference between a human garbage disposal and a wood chipper? Well, I mean, the garbage disposal has a, a steady flow of water running through it. Otherwise, it gets clogged and it's connected to pipes that okay. usher away the yep, remnants. I, you, I yeah. asked and that is exactly what I, I would have defined it mm-hmm. as. I'm glad to know we are yeah. on the same wavelength. Yeah. And it's unlike, you know, a, a meat grinder or a food processor. Oh, no, no. Those are very different. Very different very. In, indeed. And for sure, like it's not necessarily a human garbage disposal. It's a human sized garbage disposal. So you could put any number of things. A small sofa might fit in, for example. Mm-hmm. Although I don't know why you'd want to put that down a garbage disposal because it's not like... I mean, that's just something you could incinerate. Usually things you put down a garbage disposal have some fluid element to them. In my, you know, you wouldn't put mm-hmm. like dried apricots down a garbage disposal. You just throw them away. Or like some people might. I don't know. I always think of things that you put down the garbage disposal as being kind of like wet to begin with. Sure. My, I had a friend in high school and their family would would put leftovers in the toilet and flush them that's fucking weird isn't it i thought it was really weird but it's not that much different than putting things down a garbage disposal is it i mean no except the garbage disposal supposedly like grinds it up so it's not solids anymore and then like it passes through the pipes easier although my brother had a job cleaning out drains and stuff for like this industrial company and would occasionally do people's houses and things. And he was like, whatever you do, don't ever use your fucking garbage disposal. Just don't I've use it. I've heard that from a number of plumbers. And I fact. don't, I use, yeah. I leave mine plugged up. I think the most food that's ever been put down it are some slices of lemon to like freshen it up mm-hmm. yeah. and like a couple of berries and stuff. Sure, I mean like really like tiny things, there. stuff that falls in and then goes away. But I leave mine plugged up most of the time so that stuff can't even go sure. down in there because I didn't really want it in the first place and now I'm stuck with it. I mean I I have because of my worm bin, I really try to avoid letting things go down the garbage disposal. Yeah, my worms are doing really good. Fantastic. Oh, that's un- wonderful. Yes. I want worms to be like the Worm pigs utopia. of the future. Yeah. You know, like how the mafia like feeds dead bodies to pigs. <laughs> yes. I'm yeah. just going to feed dead bodies to my worms. Unfortunately, I mean, worms aren't big human sized garbage disposal. Animal waste product or they don't eat a lot of um. I know. Animal proteins. like, yeah, they don't eat yeah. a lot of the proteins. So, well, maybe a mushroom. Mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely Some uh, fungus that. Oh, yeah, fungi. there's definitely fung- fungus, f- fungi that we could There's grow. also oh, like cadaver beetles and stuff oh, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was going to say the thing about uh, having a fungus, cultivating a fungus that eats uh, rotting human flesh is that it doesn't, like you're setting Always yourself discern. up. For, yeah, there you're you're skirting a real heavy yeah, I, toxic I the environment there. Like, mm. um, Unhealthy for the living. Yeah, because the, the yeah. yeah, the the uh what's it called the um i'm not really sure it cares whether the the protein it eats is is quote unquote alive it or doesn't dead. i mean yeah. it your immune system will fight it off but sure, if but. you have a huge amount of it say in your basement for decomposing animal flesh mm-hmm. then you're putting yourself in a situation where you could be Gray exposed to a danger. huge amount of it yeah um especially because it spreads its spores, spores because air, spores right. through the air which you would breathe and they'd be in your lungs and then you'd get a nice infection right in the 
That'd right be terrible. Place where, yeah, it'd be terrible. So I had a lung infection with a fungus one time. It was horrible. Oh, that sounds terrible. Yeah, I thought I was going to die. I did not die. I, mean, I, f- I find fungus like fascinating and terrifying at the same time. Oh, yes. yeah. Yep. There's like now that we treat all of now that all of our food comes from industrial farming and industrial mm-hmm. farming is not possible without like horrible chemical warfare. They have treated all of these fields and all of this industrial ag with fungicides to prevent the crops from being taken over by fungal infections and the same stuff that they use to prevent fungal infections in crops is the medicine that we use to prevent fungal infections in people. And now they aren't working anymore. I thought you were going to talk about growing like the factory growing of fungus. Like that's really cool. Large, but, but like if, if it continues within the current model, it will Mm -hmm. then become large scale egg, fungus and i feel like we kind of come awfully close to ned's point about do you really want to be yeah putting that in your societal basement i don't know right the answer is no the answer is no especially Um, when you've cultivated uh, fungal resistant strains speaking of here's a dystopian kind of return to dystopia idea uh or thought which is if if the goal of a dystopia is to kind of maximize all of these features of suffering or goal. The ideal, the, the goal of creating an ideal dystopia is to maximize some of these, like the, like maximize human suffering and fear and misery. Mm -hmm. Um, The question becomes what or the question I have in my mind, is there a number of like, is there a population size that, is ideal like like how many people do you need for it to be a dystopia before it's just like you know people suffering in existence like five people suffering in existence i think this really comes down to like population density okay so so the question of so really like you're thinking Mm. of it as like a um you're thinking of it as a topology problem where the question becomes maximizing human suffering per square foot Yes. Like how many in, in your, in your dystopia, how many people per square foot are suffering or like sort of suffering per capita? I, I, I mean, I think, I think a function of an overcrowded situation is pestilence and suffering. So it's kind of like a downward spiral, like it, uh, to maximize the suffering per square foot, you must increase the number of people per square foot and the more people you put in there the worse the suffering is going to be it's like an inverse relationship right but at some point life becomes impossible and then it's no like the dystopia ends Ends. like like that's there's this is where the time problem comes in right like yeah because the ideal dystopia just this snapshot of human suffering and then like society ends and everybody dies hey i am not doing a flash in the pan dystopia here you want something we're talking about 100 sustainable yeah sustainable dystopia I mean, yeah. that's part of the, the unending, like, in, like, and that's where I'm wondering, too, whether death as an endpoint is not actually, like, like, there's that struggle between the fear of death and people dying around you causing suffering for an individual, but the people who died, they, they escape, right? They're out mm-hmm. of it. Um, right. And so that's where I wonder, like, if there's, 
if the ideal dystopia just issues death altogether, like you don't get to die. Oh God. I mean, I it's feel like just that like, is a piece of yeah. some dystopias have sort of that, to me that feels like it comes back to that idea of like things that you thought would make you happier that are making you more miserable kind of right. like, like yeah that like seems I'm like, gonna be yeah. immortal and now I have to suffer through everything through, for right, all exactly. existence yeah right yeah yeah <laughs> I feel like if we push you know uh, we have this balance between sustainability and interminability like to keep something going That's forever just right sort of there. seems like a version of hell as yeah. opposed to dystopia. Mm -hmm. Like I, I've never really, I don't find dystopia and hell synonymous with each other necessarily. I, so I what's agree with the you. Then that begs the question of what is the difference? I, th is I mean, dystopia I, I th a society is there. Yeah. Like, I think where Meg is going with this a bureaucracy? little bit is also there is that, that thing about being in the dystopia where you continue to create your own suffering because there's something worse if you stop. Oh, nice. Yeah. And it can just be fear, like a fear of something worse. Sure. Yeah. Like the fear of hell, right? Like that's, mm -hmm. you know, a huge motivator is like, you'll go to hell if you don't do this thing that will, you know, reward you in the afterlife or whatever, or you'll have this reward at the end of your long walk of misery. Yeah. Yes. That sounds right. Hmm. Pondering now. We're all pondering. I was trying to pensive. remember like the four things I forgot. The four <laughs> things you forgot. Yeah. You need a pad of paper and a pen too. I do. I'm like a stenographer over here. Uh, so yeah, I think... Um, I think there has to be some kind of like, like you're saying, everyone's best efforts only serve to make them more miserable. And so quitting is not an option, mm -hmm. but neither is continuing. Mm -hmm. Like it's a, it's sort of like, as opposed to being hell, which is just like abject suffering for eternity. This dystopia feels more like a limbo, like the waiting room to hell. Yeah. I, I've kind of suddenly kind of thought of something that Lauren said. I can't remember ex exactly what she said, but it, but kind of coming back to that literary theme of um, oftentimes in literature, like, or in movies or, or various media. But um, if we look at like Brazil, the movie Brazil and a big part of its dystopian, like we, we're shown the perspective from the protagonist, Right. We don't see the perspective from, say, um, Robert De Niro's character, the like the rogue um, HVAC yes. repairman. God, he's like, so great. Like, so you start to kind of like, you, we only see the level of the dystopia from that one character, the protagonist. And mm -hmm. so that's where I'm kind of thinking about this idea of like the difference between hell and dystopia is like hell is personal and dystopia is universal. Oh, like everyone, yeah, that's very everyone good. in the society is in their own personal hell in the dystopia, but your hell is different from mine. Like you may have, you know, like I imagined the, um, you know, like some bureaucrat or something in, in, uh, in Brazil where 
from our protagonist's point of, point of view, they're getting some pleasure from this moment or something like they're doing the thing that they like to do, but it turns out it's like, it's, you know, turns to ash in their mouth, right? Like it's not mm -hmm. actually something they enjoy, which is why they keep trying to do it and why they're right. so miserable and why they keep kind of right. being, even though they're not the protagonist who is like not interested in controlling other people. He has his own motivations or whatever, but mm -hmm. um, anyway, I don't know, just kind of from a literary point of view, like it's kind of that idea of, I don't think you'd have to keep that purely literary. I mean, like if you want to actually truly design like the most optimal dystopia, I think you could bring that piece with it. Mm -hmm. Like what can you do to maximize feeling alone while being surrounded by people? Like, mm -hmm. what can no matter you do? what your station in life or whatever you're right. Right. What can you do to maximize that, that unique crushingness of bureaucracy where you, sort of have no control but are a part of a thing like mm -hmm. you're part of a thing or you do th you're responsible for things that you can't actually affect change on or whatever or you're complicit in things that cause suffering like these are things that i think are particularly make humans particularly miserable wretched excuse me wretched right. wretched lives Right, wretched, the very wretched lives. It makes me think about kind of um, sort of the like a sort of more like Buddhist philosophy where where like expectation and desire is like. Oh, I've thought of that so many like, times. I was like, I don't think yeah. I yeah. need to bring it up. But oh, I keep thinking I'm like, I mean, this all of this discussion. Yeah. Refall, I think, just furthers the point that like <gasps> desire is the root of yeah yeah and sure. i mean that's i think that's always yes. been kind of our a, a big draw of the discussion is like you know the flip side of it is like if if you can get rid of some of these things or do something to lessen some of these things in your own life you can have a little more happiness right you yeah know, you don't yeah, have yeah, to yeah, be yeah. um you know the goal isn't actually to create well i mean setting aside creating an actual human uh garbage disposal uh which i won't mention any names but i'm pretty sure at least one person in this podcast is is considering it more practically yeah. rather than uh right i'm i mean it's not it's not me but if it was me i'd be thinking about engineering principles you know? right like how like much power is it i mean how do you make torque this and the length of a blade necessary to like i mean i cut think opening a, design oh yeah i mean those I just think the, the classic, the big rubber flange flat. at the top well, that yeah, the, I was going to come out. And I was going to say that big rubber flange is super necessary because the underside of it is classically slimy and impossible to clean. And that is quintessential to the experience of garbage disposal. Uh -huh. You got to have the slimy black rubber flap. I, I think we also would need to breed a giant <laughs> lemon. Tree, yeah, like a, a lemon tree that grows giant lemons, so you can throw giant yep. lemon peels into the garbage, human Huge garbage disposal every once humans. in a while to I mean, if help get the stench down. In. Right. Yeah. Right. No, yeah. no, 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 no. I think I think you, you, if we're really talking dystopian, you have the giant lemon peels that you tell people will help with the stench, but of course, the stench <laughs> of rotting flesh is actually quite pungent, and so then you just have lemon scented rotting flesh. That's excellent. <laughs> That yep. you've been told is somehow better. 
<laughs> right. I, <laughs> I, it would, yeah, in my dystopia for sure, there would be um, like all sorts of products that were meant to like, that were marketed as things that would solve problems, but really would just ruin an additional yes. thing. Like in my mom's version of real life dystopia that I grew up in, she always chose food smells as the air fresheners in the bathroom for after people pooped. And so to this day, <laughs> oh, to God. this day, every time I fucking, every time I smell vanilla, I'm like, somebody pooped. pooped. <laughs> smells, smells like chocolate cake. Vanilla poop. Somebody smell vanilla poop. It was ne- the vanilla is not a scent that can overcome the smell of feces. Nor is it one you want to associate with that. Right. Like, it has. I mean, to this day, it has ruined some food items for me. Like I can't eat things that are just vanilla flavored. Like I can't have right. vanilla yogurt. Forget it. I'm not eating mm, liquid poop, poop scent. Yogurt. It's terrible. I can't do it. So yeah, vanilla has been ruined for me forever. Also, cinnamon. Mm-hmm. Oh. Hate cinnamon, cinnamon because of its oh. association with somebody going poop. That sounds cinnamon poop sounds even worse because cinnamon it's is so poops. pungent and yep. it cuts through things. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's like, hey, hey, hey! I need you to come over here. Yep. Smell some poop. Smell some poop. <laughs> That's right. What's that alluring sense of cinnamon? Oh, poop. <laughs> oh, it's poop. You know what else my mom used to Does do? make popcorn? Right. Oh. My mom, oh. my fucking mom had a chocolate chip cookie scented candle and we would come in the house like, oh my God. And she's like, it's just a candle. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. Like that's, a, that's kind of sweat. like cookie gaslighting. Cookie, I, I feel like you could go a step further and you you could cookie gaslight and associate it with poop. Oh, fuck. I walk in the door and I smell the smell of cookie dough. And then um, I found out that no, it's just a candle. You're really and good then at this. after t- over time, I, I begin to notice the pattern that I only get cookie gaslit after mom went poop. Oh, man. Oh, that's brutal. <laughs> Glad I could help. Oh, you did a great job. (laughs) (laughs) You win. (laughs) I win at ruining. So um, one of the things that led to this this particular dystopia episode was the concept of um, doing a Zoom meeting at the dentist. Oh, yes. Which is really great. We did say that right at the very beginning, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I liked, like, which is the piece that makes... But we didn't expound on it, so I thought we'd circle back. Right, no, I appreciate it. And I like the, what is the piece that makes it dystopian? (laughs) I, the funny thing is, I I know I came up with this because that... You did, Or at least in the the chat log, that's the one who we can blame. Um, (laughs) But I, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I feel like getting it because it's getting a filling right like it's not just being in the dentist chair it's getting a filling while you're doing a zoom meeting and the the more i think about it the more i feel like it would be the right level of insanity for me where it would take the edge off of both of those things yeah where like the zoom meeting i like i'd have a solid excuse I'd be like, well, you guys had to do the Zoom meeting while I'm getting my filling and this mm-hmm. is the situation. And they're like, great. Yep. Because we got to do this thing. And then I can just scream in agony when I feel like it. <laughs> and then I can and the dentist and like I, and I can be distracted by the insanity of it all while I'm getting a filling. And also sometimes it's nice to have like 
a point of pain to focus on when someone's mm-hmm. being like causing you like psychological oh, pain. Yes. Yes. Where you're just like, Oh fuck you. Yeah. Just you fucking dicks. Like you guys are the worst. Yep. I, when I, when you said, suggested this or wrote this in the chat, like yes. um, a zoom meeting at the dentist, I was like, Oh, there, I saw kind of like a little, um, like a Punnett square in my head or Uh something like that, where it's like the possible truth values of the situation. Like um, being at the dentist makes a zoom meeting better or worse than normal. Being at a zoom meeting makes the dentist worse or better than normal. And and there were like so many different outcomes that are so many different reiterations of that. Like would being at the dentist make a work meeting better? It might, because at least I'm getting something productive. That's going to make me feel better better afterwards done during the meeting which the meeting itself will not do for sure if it's a zoom meeting for work um right <laughs> so i was like you would the dentist like, improve yeah, the zoom meeting it might. i mean i like ned's point too of like you have a like a like quote-unquote legitimate excuse to yell or yeah. whatever like you have a legitimate excuse to not pay attention right. or you know <laughs> oh god I've I, I've had a lot of meetings in really weird places that never made the meeting any better, but a dentist might. It just might. Right. Yeah. I don't mind the dentist. I I, I actually yeah I I have a very I like my dentist. It's like actually I like my dentist's office because there are yeah. two dentists and I like both of them and they are. Um, it's not that they've never hurt me, but they're not like barbaric. They're just not barbaric. And the thing about it is they're very clear communicating with me about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm never, I'm I like my whole, like my, all my bad dentist and medical experiences are always where I feel like someone told me something that's not true. Yes. Like the dentist yeah, doesn't say to me like this is not going to hurt and then it hurts. Yeah. The dentist is like I'm going to give you Novocaine and that should numb it and you shouldn't feel pain but you will feel things and if you don't like it let me know. Like, you right. know, mm-hmm. it's a dialogue whereas like you're just sort of like I the, my very first dental experience was like no it's no big deal and then like there's like I'm th- six and there's all these hands in my mouth and I'm getting poked with needles and drilled and it was just a nightmare. So Right. That I I was concerned, but what if six year old you had been in a Zoom meeting? Oh, good question. I mean, <laughs> well, considering there wasn't really internet at that point, um, <laughs> it would be very interesting to find out how that happened. <laughs> I'm sorry, Meg, you were going to say when I had my teeth extracted from my jaw in Mexico, um, I was given some kind of what 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 I was told was some kind of a sedative at first. I see. Because of my adrenaline, if it was a sedative, I didn't feel it, and it was a it was a pretty small dose. Like for example, before I had my spinal tap, I took four Valium pills, one at a time. And when the first one didn't do anything, I took the second one. When the second one didn't <sighs> do anything, I took the third one. When the third one didn't do anything, I took the fourth one. When the fourth one didn't do anything. I went to the spinal tap and I remember all of it and I felt every second of it and nothing about any of it helped calm me down. And so when they offered me this teeny weeny little like 
half of a pill in Mexico. I was like, what is this? And they're like, it'll just calm you down. And I was like, okay. I don't know what it was. I didn't feel it either. So it's mm-hmm. fine. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, being a, an adventurous sort in, in that category, I was like, what? it's, it's not going to be any worse than any other experience I've ever had. And so I took mm-hmm. it and it did nothing. And then they came in and they like completely turned my head into a numb brick and they ripped out all four of my With teeth. Novocaine as well. Oh dude, mm-hmm. I didn't have general anesthesia. I was just like, Oh, take it head on. Let's just, Let's just do it. So I was awake for the whole thing, which was actually great because it lasted about 45 minutes Mm. and I had all four of my wisdom teeth taken out, two of which were impacted. So they Mm -hmm. had to remove a bunch of bone from my jaw, Mm -hmm. which sounded amazing from inside my head. Yeah. I was like, that sounds like a building breaking apart and like it was my bones in my face and then they like pulled all of that out and they put it all in a cup and I got to keep it and it's all upstairs. I have it all still these like crazy bloody teeth and shards of bone. And then they put a crown on and I was sitting in the waiting room with Damon in Mexico between when they took my wisdom teeth out and when they were going to put my new crown on, on this front tooth that I broke. And as I was sitting there, I was like, Oh, I can totally feel the Novocaine wearing off. <laughs> and then and then I had to walk back to the United States. So like I, if I had been put under general anesthesia, there's no way I would have made it back. I would have had to like stay overnight there or something. Mm-hmm. But as it yeah. stands, we just like got my teeth out, put the crown on, spit a bunch of blood in a path all the way back to the United States, told him I didn't have anything to declare. And I was there for de- the dentist, which they obviously realized because I was like covered in blood from my face. Yes. And I just, my face was all puffed up. And on the way back from Mexico, I'm we were trying so hard not to be. Oh my God. <laughs> we were driving in the car and it was super hot because it was Mexico. And uh-huh. we crossed back over in the United States. And I was like, I'm so glad I'm not like recovering from general anesthesia right now. Oh, I'd be so seriously? upset. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was incredible. But like now I go to the dentist and I'm like, if I have a cavity or something, I'm like, just drill it till it starts to hurt and then we'll do the Novocaine because I hate, mm-hmm. I hate, it's like drilling me is painful enough. But like to have to stab me 30 times with a needle before you even start drilling is like, that just seems like extra torture. So I'm like, just go till it hurts and then we'll stop when it hurts and then you can numb me up. <laughs> crazy. But I, I would like to support your self-advocacy thanks yeah that's great i just can't believe that they put people under for general anesthesia for wisdom teeth like your wisdom teeth are not going to kill you general anesthesia might Mm -hmm. it's so unethical to give people general anesthesia for their teeth so i'm really glad i had it done in mexico actually and those people the people who did the actual like surgery and removed my teeth Mm -hmm. they were amazing so i'm sitting in this chair and i i don't speak spanish Mm -hmm. um and so i there was uh you know like they were very nice and helpful Mm -hmm. to me but i was largely just going on faith like Mm -hmm. i couldn't ask salient questions i was just like here we go they do this all the time it's gonna be fine and these people materialized out of nowhere like they came down the street and walked in the dentist's office with this like giant carrying case on wheels and they like came up next to my chair and they're like we're here we're here to take your teeth out and like it was this woman and this guy and they worked together as a team and they like popped open this fancy like fishing tackle box this like glorified Mm -hmm. fishing tackle box with all of these like 
you know, sterilized instruments or whatever in them, clean instruments, whatever. Like, I don't know. And they, <laughs> I'm presumably, fine. So presumably yeah. it's fine. And they just appeared I, like they, yeah, yeah. they just go from dentist's office to dentist's office with their like little mobile surgical unit. Yeah. And they just like pull people's teeth out. <laughs> they were amazing. They yeah. were amazing. I was like, is this going to be like really painful? They're like, you won't feel a thing. And I was <laughs> like, uh, how long is this going to take? They're like, eh, 45, 50 minutes. And I was like, what? And they're yeah. like, sit back, please. And like they did not they were, they, they were very efficient they didn't wait for me they didn't pause they didn't like hang on or anything they were just like no we're going you're not even gonna have to you don't even have time to be worried about this look yep. all your teeth are out bye, bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> no it was that awesome sounds um like consummate professionals <laughs> yeah um well uh should we do oh. um not not that i don't have anything else to say about um i like totally gross lauren out <laughs> yeah no no uh, I, I just really was trying really hard not to puke i something about the discussion of the sound i was then imagining it, yep. what it would sound like it was like it was like and it really made me super nauseous just yeah it was the oh. sound of it was pretty like i mean i could tell when i went back out to the waiting room after they had finished taking out my teeth i was like i'm in shock like i could feel yeah, it yeah yeah i was I'm like sure. i'm totally shocky uh the sight of my own bloody teeth in a cup in a plastic cup was hilarious mm -hmm. i was just like oh <laughs> like oh my god like, i'm not sure that's the same word that everybody else who was there would choose but i mean you know you you do you it's like parts of my skull in a plastic cup um <laughs> they just like handed it to me here you go and they were like don't uh don't try and spit when you like have to when there's all the blood in your mouth don't spit just like let it drool out and i was like oh. okay oh blood dripping down the back of my throat <laughs> also would make oh, me nauseous no. uh yeah and I next you can tell me about your like eyeball surgery and then we'll see if i puke oh from that God. one I've, eyeballs oh and actually i'm I sorry please can't don't. do it damon's head lasik yeah, eyeballs. i won't do it i'm eyeballs. like nobody's no, eyeballs. because you know why? Because you can smell it burning. Eyeballs. No, no, we, we're going to stop there. Eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I can... Eyeballs are my safe word. Eyeballs. Yeah. Eyeballs. Okay. All right. On my, uh, uh, today on my list. At least of, not today. You can, we can yeah. do it another time. On my but, list of oh, things God, to do eyeballs. today was go oh. to have my face peeled off, which I did. And now like, uh, it's getting better. But when you first do it, your face is kind of like raw yeah, 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 yeah. and it smells really weird. It smells like blood. It's gross. And yeah, like I'm not, I'm not squeamish about all all things. Like mm -hmm. there's some things I find quite fascinating, and like I love dissection. Oh loved, yeah, loved dissection. Did you do dissection in like high school science class? Mm -hmm. What did you dissect? Uh, chicken legs and cow eyeballs. Oh, <gasps> the lens in a cow eyeball. I was like, I want to take this home with me. Also, it stinks. Cool. It yeah. stinks, and I want to take it home with me. Really? Well, like, I mean, like. It, like any part of it would or is yeah. there like a specifically weird eyeball smell <laughs> um i guess i don't know i don't know enough i don't remember if they were in formaldehyde probably yeah. they were so there's probably a formaldehyde smell yep but i just remember this lens thing and i like didn't want to put it down but also like i could smell it yeah we i find the smell of stainless steel to also be very unpleasant Oh, I don't this is like super off topic. I don't but. like the smell of a lot of metals yeah, or the way me metal too. smells I, when it comes in contact with your hands, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like metal tools mm -hmm. or like 
we, I like stainless steel for its like utilitarian purposes, but the smell of it is a little strange. It's very like antiseptic and hospitally and industrially and like mm -hmm. bloody uh, icky. A little bit yeah, like blood. It's, it's a little bloody smelling. Um, yeah. So our dystopia should smell like blood. A lot of blood smell. I'm putting an smell. asterisk and I'm putting blood smell. Pervasive blood smell. Pervasive. What if, what if what if when you weren't home this society came into your home and randomly sprayed cat pee somewhere in your home? That so would make me every, fucking crazy. Every time you also came home, you're crazy. like, Do yeah. I smell cat pee? Oh my god. I have I have escaped the fate <laughs> but then of you having... wouldn't know what it was on. <laughs> yeah. The I have never had cats that peed in the house, thankfully. Um but, but have you ever been afraid you smelled it? Yep. And because then you're like, you can't prove yourself wrong. It's like, a, yes, it's a, it becomes a single minded obsession. Mm -hmm. Like I just sit there going like, do I smell it? <sighs> I think I've crawled around a room with yep. my nose to the floor. Me too. Mm -hmm. Yep. My cat likes to poop in the yard and then I have to talk about dystopian. Like, Oh, look at this beautiful <laughs> vegetable garden. Is that cat shit? <laughs> Because he doesn't bury it either. He just leaves it there. So, which is fine because then it's easy for me to clean up. But I don't own a dog because I think cleaning up after a dog is fucking ridiculous. I have a cat so that the cat will clean up after itself and poop in the box. And now the and cat's yet? like, what do I need the box for? I have your entire yard where you're trying to grow edible food. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I have to go stalk the yard like a dog owner looking for poop. Like a dog owner, people. Like some fucking dog like owner. some kind of dog owner. Ugh. Like some kind of canine caretaker. Plebeian. Mm. Plebeian canine mm. Well, mm. more literature. Uh, should we talk about <laughs> Yeah, should we should we go to color of the day? Yeah. Do we have dystopian oh colors? Or? Uh well, I have some colors that the research team uh just sent over. Um you should see it there in the chat as well. I think they sent it to the same. Could we have a okay, future designing dystopia that's all about dystopian colors? Like what are the best I mean, colors for our dystopia? We live in a world where Pantone gets to declare the color of the year. So I feel like we already live in a dystopia yes. of colors. Yep. Well, I guess I was thinking we would, if we're designing it, we would like choose our top dystopian colors. Like choose I, the colors that saying. will highlight <clears throat> the most wretchedness yeah. and, and misery. Right. Well, one of the side projects I have is um, updating the colors of the day to uh, color palettes. Oh, right. Oh, um, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, we will need to, I'm, I've been talking with the research team and they said that they are a little bit low on um manpower or yeah power? or person power people power mm -hmm. um their their resources are a little stretched at the moment just coming up with the two colors a day so um they're going to uh get back to me about that but i, I we've got some ideas about how to kind of nice. get around that so Great. yeah at some mm, point that, we may be that's able interesting to. i mean and you know we, we're a supportive team here so like yeah oh yeah absolutely sure we no can i mean find the, a way it's it's fine for yeah for, yeah, we'll make it work. They it's don't need to do great. all projects at all times. Right. No, exactly. They can do what, what they can when they can. <laughs> exactly. Um, so. Uh, this is a safe and supportive work environment. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. Oh. oh, I wrote, a, I so wrote this down. So we don't make color. them do Zoom calls in the middle of their time. Oh, I <laughs> certainly don't. Uh-huh. Right. So our first color is congruous totem. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Congruous? Yeah. 
Let's say this is like Con- congruous, 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 yeah. congruous Con- totem. Yep. Totem. Yeah. Uh, um, it's. Oh. No, go ahead. It's RB RGB value is two hundred and fourteen, two hundred and twenty-eight, two hundred and ten. I like that. They're all so close to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can imagine what color it would be. Yeah. So, but if you can't, you can type in its hexadecimal um, code into you know just Google, and so yep. uh, you start with what I call the pound sign, but Ned calls something else that I can't remember. Oct- Octothorpe. There eight. you go. Yes, it's Octothorpe. a thorpe of eight. Mm-hmm. eight so you thorps. can take a pound sign mm-hmm. and then uh, follow it by D as in Delta six Echo four Delta two. Woo. Yeah, so once again, uh, Octothorpe slash hashtag slash pound sign Delta 6 Echo 4 Delta 2. And you will get this. I would describe it as like a bone white. Mm-hmm. I would too. Sure. <clears throat> it's, it's, not, it's not cream. Um, it's not. It's, it's good. And it's not as yellow as like a buff or anything. Like of gray green. Yeah. Does. That's what makes it more bone like. Yeah. Is that it's got a touch of coolness to it mm-hmm. versus like a, a buff or a cream, which would have warm a, undertone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This looks like <coughs> this looks like how, you know, when you get your photos taken for your passport and they put you against a stark white background and then they like flood you out with light so that you're super, super pale in the photos. Mm-hmm. And the reason they do that is so if they have to fish you out of a body of water, they can identify you if you're bloated and dead. <laughs> I would really like to see the evidence for that. It's true. So they uh-huh. can identify your body easier overseas. And yeah, like, look I'm, at this, I'm like, skeptical of this. Bloated fish of a yeah, dead really fish like of a human. Citation <laughs> needed. We're Who just is gonna this say woman floating needed. into sin? It's she's dead. She's from America. You can tell because of the color of her photograph in her passport. Um, that's the color. It's that color. That dead dead corpse floating in the Seine. We were supposed to go Which to is- Paris on our wedding anniversary, and instead he ended up floating in the Seine. Yeah, he ruins everything. <laughs> I thought of something different when I saw this color. Oh, but I don't want it to invalidate Meg at all. Oh no, it's fine. I looked at this color and I my brain instantly said, "This is the most." Pleasing matte tile I've ever seen. Oh, matte tile in this color would yeah. be just like the most serene. satisfying, right? Satiny, serene. Ooh, yeah. I feel like if you had this, yeah, I think actually if you Good had eye. this tile and then you had highlights or accents of the follow-up color, which know, is the petaled resplendence. Oh, yep. it's divine. Yeah. Petaled re- resplendence is just delicious. It looks like the color of the cape that Maleficent wears in Sleeping Beauty. Mm. Yeah. So its RGB values are 41, 27, 45. So you can already imagine it's a much more muted, darker color. Um, and the hexadecimal value is pound sign 291 Bravo 2 Delta. Yes, it's gorgeous. It's like it's like when black and purple have a baby together. I was going to say it's the darkest eggplant. And it's a very grumpy the baby. Eggplant. The yeah. darkest eggplant. Yeah. All it's it's the color of all those flowers that they call black. Mm-hmm. Yes. Almost all of them are this color. Yeah, and, that, and they're delicious. Yes. Yeah. Black tulips. <sighs> black roses. Well, there are some black roses that have more blue than this. I guess mm. there is possibly, I believe, but but the vast majority of 
quote unquote black plants are this yeah. deep, deep purple eggplant. Yeah. Oh, gorgeous. These colors look so good together. They do. I want my whole house in these colors. Yeah, they're pretty great. These are really mm-hmm. up there. So yeah, congruous totem and petaled resplendence. These are the two colors of the day. Um, if you're listening to this podcast and you're getting your outfit together or you're doing a design project or you just have opportunity to add some color, these colors are the ones to go with. They are the most trendy for today. For Say you're Tuesday. designing a society. Maybe you want to use these colors. Yeah. Right. They're the I best mean, colors ever what will happen to that society. Maybe everyone will be really happy. But probably not. Probably not. <laughs> Except when they look at these colors together. Right. Welcome to the society where everyone's happy and it's boring. Boring. <laughs> boring. <laughs> Nothing ever gets lit on fire accidentally or on purpose here. <sighs> oh my gosh. So we went to a high school football game the other night, not because yeah. we enjoy high school football, but because our friend's son, Logan, is in the marching band and we were like, Aww. oh, we'll totally go see marching band. And so we went band. and while we were there, we know there was a woman who was, be- she was twirling a baton and it was really great and she was great at it. And then towards the end, like the band was playing and it was like taking a really long time. I mean, it was great, but it was like it, it, they had been going for a while. And then towards the very end, this woman who was twirling the baton lit it on fire. And I was like, okay, <gasps> now I feel like I'm here for this. Like <laughs> finally something's on fire. That's, that's amazing. And I, awesome. We have hit our stride. I am happy to be here now. <laughs> also, um, this school that teaches like <clears throat> fire performance art. Right. Yeah. Super That's cool. so fun. Yeah. Um, so should we call it? Is that our podcast for the day? Well, yeah. So I was going to do our kind of ending. If you've made it all the way to the end and this is your first podcast or you've listened to us forever and for some reason you missed it, we do want to hear from you. Um, yes. And you can get a hold of us. You can either get a hold of us directly through our executive assistant, Dana, who does an amazing job. Um, and that would be, you can email her, Dana, D-A-N-A at fcbm.io. <laughs> Uh, if you send her an email, she'll get it to whoever, Lauren, uh, Meg, myself, or any of our past co-hosts that have joined us or guests. Um, yeah, and we'd love to hear from you. Whatever you have to say about this topic or any topic, obviously, um, we're pretty, like, we have a pretty good following, I guess. Like, the statistics show people <laughs> listen to this show, which is mm-hmm. pretty interesting. And um, we don't hear from a lot of you, although we hear from some of you, and yeah. you know who you are. Um, and Thank yeah, you. just let us know, and we'd love to you know, join the conversation if you are into it or just give us your thoughts and we'll, you know, digest them as best we can. Okay. Thanks. Woo. Thank you.